Well, it is good to be uh, with you this morning again, and welcome uh, for any of you that weren't here when we opened our service. Uh, any moms among us, happy Mother's Day. It's good to be with you this morning again. I'd like to read for you from uh, 1 John this morning, 1 John uh, chapter uh, 2 and verse 1. And uh, actually, I'll read both, verses 1 and 2. 1 John, verses, 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, my dear children, I write this to you. Actually, I just want, I'd like to stop there. My dear children. Such a term of endearment. Maybe just as we collect our thoughts here for a minute, just, just soak that term of endearment in for just a minute. My dear children. That, that's for you and for me this morning. It says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. Some of you might recognize the name Orson Welles. Uh, Orson Welles was an actor and a movie producer back in the middle of the 20th century. He starred in movies such as Citizen Kane and Moby Dick and about dozens of others. Um, But interestingly enough, he is very famous for having said this phrase. He says, we're born alone, we live alone, we die alone. Only through our love and friendship can we create the illusion for the moment that we're not alone. Is that true? Because if you troll the internet, which I did after finding that quote, uh, you'll find lots of things to agree with that statement. There are songs that are written with the name of the song emblazoned with those words, we're born alone or we die alone or... You'll see songs written. You'll see psychologists that are kind of trying to deal with that particular topic of loneliness and that sort of a thing. And, and you'll hear lots of comments. If you look down a little bit deeper, you'll hear lots of comments of people that don't find true meaning in their relationships, in their friendships. Even the love that they express, they hold kind of loosely because they can't trust it kind of the sense that life is empty, that we're on our own. It's, it's kind of rooted in pain, emptiness. You know, what's weird about that particular quote, you want to know what I put into Google to find when I stumbled on that quote? I put into Google this search, it says, you are not alone at birth. What I was looking for was a good birth story. It's Mother's Day, right? I put in, you are not alone at birth, and what did I get is Orson Welles' quote is, Uh, We're born alone. We live alone. We die alone. Now, I don't know what that says if Google kind of has its algorithm set to me personally. I don't know what that says about me. Or if that's sort of a general Google search. I don't know. Try it and see what you find. I'm a little nervous to say that. Don't try it. But anyway, the idea, like, really, that's what comes up. 
because it runs completely counter to our experience. It runs completely counter to our experience. And it runs counter to who we are as Christians and what we believe as Christians. In fact, birth of all times is one of the few times, maybe, that we can claim to truly not have been alone. Just ask my wife. She was at a birth last night till I don't even know. I didn't even know when she came home. But she helps women give birth as a doula. I guarantee you, no story I've ever heard her told is a story of a baby being born alone because we all come from somewhere, right? We all come from a mom. Isn't that the truth? We did not start alone. And I'm not saying that that is the story that follows us through life, but if Orson Welles is telling the truth, somehow or another that infant would be able to survive on its own, being born alone somehow. We know that, like, you know, horses, elephants, when they're born, they can walk on day one, right? Ducks, when they're born, they can swim on day one. That's kind of cool, right? Monkeys, when they're born, they can climb trees on day one. That'd be really cool, wouldn't it? All of that, that's really cool. But not, not so much human beings. What can human beings do when they are born? They can cry. Yes, that's a good one. They can cry. They can eat with help, right? They can't even really eat so much on their own, sort of. You could debate that, right? We certainly know what they can do at the other end, right? They can take care of that stuff, right? So there's some things they can do, but babies can't lift their heads. They can't roll over, you know, like if that infant was left to its own devices, I don't know where we would all be here today because that's not our story. We weren't alone at the beginning. And I think that it's important for us to recognize that. God designed from the very beginning that we were to be cared for. That we were to be in connection with a family, with a, with a unit, with a mother. We were to be nurtured, be raised. In fact, it would become sort of the pattern for our life of relationship with him, wouldn't it? Not so much the helpless infant role, right? It's not that we stay that helpless the rest of our lives, but sort of this dependency, it's that word advocate comes to mind, doesn't it? God gave us an advocate. And there we can all just kind of look to our moms or people next to us and just say, thank you, mom, right? You can do that right now. Thank you, mom, if your mom's here and if she's not, that's okay. You can say it to mom wherever she is. It's the idea of advocacy. God gave us somebody to help us along. Ultimately, we know that who he gave us was his own son. So, no, I don't believe Orson Welles' quote that we are born alone. But it is true, sadly, that for some of us that does change as we move along in life. Sometimes things break down. Sometimes those connections are lost. And Mother's Day isn't always a time of joy for everybody. Maybe you could resonate with the psalmist today when he says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. 
we know that today is not always a day that is celebrated the same by everybody. And if it's not a positive day or a happy day for you, can I just, in this kind of big sense, just say, let us give you that big hug this morning to say we love you, we're with you, we care about you. Amen? Truly, I don't believe that you are alone. Not at birth, not in life, and not at death. No one really wants to feel alone. At the core, we seek comfort in knowing that someone cares. And at the core, somewhere beneath the bristles and the thorns that we've built to protect ourselves, we wonder if somebody notices or if someone will be looking out for us. You see, we're not complete human beings when we're alone. Some of you will remember the iconic pop artist Michael Jackson. He made a song that was called You Are Not Alone. There we go. That's not your generation. What's up with that? I was expecting some of the... All right, you go. Good job, Fidel. Listen to these words from Michael Jackson. Every day I sit and ask myself, how did love slip away? Something whispers in my ears and says, you are not alone, right? For I am here with you. And though you're far away, I am here to stay. You know this song, right? You are not alone. Some of you know this song, right? I am here with you, and though we're far apart, you're always in my heart, you are not alone. Yeah, right? No Michael Jackson. No Michael Jackson, but that was from my era, and I can remember that song. We know from the rest of that song that he is talking about a broken human relationship. But as I started thinking about that song, and you strip away that context, you think about who really fills the void, and he has that word in there, he whispers in his ear. Can't you just maybe hear the whisper of Jesus in those words? I can hear Jesus whispering, you are not alone. I am here with you. And though you're far away, I am here to stay. What if Michael Jackson and the rest of our culture, and maybe even you this morning, were able to discern the voice of God in your own heart is telling you that you are not alone? Isaiah chapter 41 says this. It says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Much like when we were little, we all need an advocate. Someone to come alongside of us and to remind us that we matter, that we're not really complete without each other. Isolation, anonymity, being alone, it was never part of God's design. That's where we come back to our verse this morning. 
my dear children. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You are not alone. He is here with us. And though we might be far away, he is here to stay. Can I tell you for just a minute, can I just take a minute and tell you how I think he advocates for us? That'd be okay? Still with me? Number one, I think he advocates for us through the cross. Let's just read verse 2 again. It says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That atoning sacrifice, the resetting of creation, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit into our lives, the the kingdom come here and now, the image of the invisible God perfectly represented what this life could and should be. He perfectly loved all people while never sinning. He showed what's possible in a life lived through the power of the Holy Spirit. And since he knows we can't necessarily do that on our own, he's our advocate because we were never meant to do it alone. When we fall, when we lose our way, when we get distracted, when life overwhelms us, and maybe when we're living apart from God, Christ is our advocate. 1 John 1.9 would say this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to live apart from God. We don't have to live in fear of God. We don't have to live without an advocate, a friend, somebody who is there on our behalf. For those who truly sense God whispering to them this morning, who genuinely want to fill that void that might be there in their hearts, this is your next step to confess, to reconnect. He's done the work through the cross. It's just up to us to take steps in that direction. Amen? So that's the first way, through the cross. The second way is through prayer. How many of you know that Jesus actually prayed for you? How many of you know that? I don't see everybody's hands, so that's, that's good, right? So this is a moment of learning this morning. Jesus actually prayed for you. I know a lot of times we pray to Jesus and we ask him for things and all that sort of But Jesus prayed for you. You can read about that in the, the gospel that John wrote uh, in chapter 17. Jesus prayed this fantastic prayer and says this uh, in verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. The they in that particular section is referring to his disciples. But later on he says it's for all those who will be changed because of what the disciples do and so that by extension comes to us. But It says, for I am coming to you, but Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. There's a lot more verses to that prayer. I encourage you to go and read it on your own. John chapter 17, it's in the New Testament. What struck me about this particular verse is his prayer to protect them 
by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one. What do you think of when you think of protection? What do you think of like when you say, God, protect me? Because I know, like in our family, we pray that prayer a lot. You know, pray prayers of protection over our kids or over us or traveling mercies. In other words, a lot of times our prayers of protection are prayed to keep us safe from others. We kind of pray this prayer of protection to kind of surround ourselves with this little hedge of protection or uh, a boundary line or something between me and somebody else. And so my prayer is actually to protect me from others. And notice how contrary this particular prayer is to that prayer. Jesus doesn't say that he wants his disciples to be protected from others. He wants them to be protected so that they may be one. They're not being protected from each other. They're being protected so that there's no division among them. That's a powerful prayer in our world today, isn't it? That's a powerful prayer in our world Security systems and all the other things we do to put passwords on things and put fences up around our yards and alarms on our cars and cameras to watch over things and even walls on our border. What's going on? Fear? Protection? Christ's vision for our world and for our politics and for our relationships is so significantly different than the culture and political world that we see today. And I want to be really clear. I'm not preaching against walls on our border. I really am not. That's a whole different topic. But I'm preaching against and thinking about walls in our hearts. Because as Christians, we have to think differently. We have to be engaged in our world in a loving way that embraces people and draws people to who Jesus Christ was. The idea of putting up any kind of walls or fences or isolating ourselves from the world, its dangers and its pains, is entirely counter-cultural. So Jesus prayed as our advocate. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to us. He was our advocate through the cross. He was our advocate in prayer. And he's also our advocate through the Spirit who intercedes on our behalf. When we don't know what to pray, in our weaknesses, when we're stuck, when we're hitting the wall in our own journey of life and we, we come up against it and we don't know where to go, we don't know what to turn, we, we've prayed the same prayer over and over and over again, whether it's for healing or a relationship or this or that. We, we pray, we pray, we pray, and we don't know what else to pray. And when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. On an individual level, that can manifest itself in all the ways that I just mentioned. The various stages of healing or whether or not we've been healed miraculously or not. Somehow or another, God, 
through his spirit, intercedes on our behalf. He becomes our advocate because we're not meant to walk this journey alone. But also, as we've been thinking about our community, as we've been thinking about reaching out into our neighborhoods, as we've been thinking about the difference that we can make, as we've got two people walking the streets even now, praying for our neighborhoods and our community, sometimes we don't know what to pray. I was in a meeting this week, and it was for the Rochester Area Interfaith Hospitality Network, RAIN, we call it here. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be hosting families again in our building all week long. These are families that are in crisis. They're in transition. Uh, They don't know where to turn, so they turn to RAIN because they need some place to stay overnight. They need some help getting a new job. They need some help getting some resources. And we as a church come alongside them for just four weeks out of the year, one week at a time, and... We're just one, in some ways, little drop in the bucket for their story, but, but the stories that they have, the, the situations that they're up against are just so overwhelming. The situations that they face with landlords who don't take care of things, who have code violations, and when you call and you report the code violation, the city comes and reports the codes, but then the landlord sits on it, doesn't do anything, and before long, then the the tenant actually gets evicted for the codes not being taken care of when it wasn't their problem to begin with. That's just one small issue that our families face. The community issues that are facing us. Poverty and racism and other types of things. We don't know what to pray. David Fitch, in a book that he wrote called Faithful Presence, tells a story of uh, some individuals, eight to be exact, four, uh, four different individuals from two different churches. Uh, this was in Sacramento, California, several years ago. But these four individuals had a heart, had a burden for a street in the city of Sacramento. It was called Detroit Boulevard. And Detroit Boulevard was known for its crime, for its gangs, for its violence, for its drugs, for its all of that, right? It was just the place that nobody wanted to go. In fact, the police called it the Carnival Street because every night so much was going on and so many people got arrested. Well, these eight individuals, uh, as David Fitch recounts it, had a burden. And what they decided to do was they decided to just go out and start walking the streets. And all they did was pray. All they did was pray. They prayed for houses. There was no house on that particular street where something positive was happening. They prayed for those houses. They prayed for the people in those houses. They prayed for people as they met, uh, that that walked by them, that were asking them what they were doing. In fact, one woman uh, saw them praying, came up to them and said, "Uh, what are you doing? What are you... And and they said, we're praying for our community. She said, "Can, can you pray for me? And they prayed for her and she was healed immediately of what was going on in her life. And It wasn't long that these four individuals, these eight individuals decided to form a church called Detroit Life Church and slowly you could start to see some things changing on Detroit Boulevard and as a couple of years went by, the Sacramento Bee, which is the newspaper out there, reported some statistics and in that particular year, I think this happened to be 2000 from 13 to 14, there were no robberies, no drug arrests, no murders, no violence, no anything, says they reported one assault in a year's time. It had gone from being the carnival, the place that the police were kind of notoriously for for spending their nights, to the police calling it the most boring street in Sacramento. Because they 
committed to pray. David Fitch would would call that kingdom prayer. It's the kind of prayer that we want to be praying ourselves as we think about going out into our neighborhoods. Jesus Christ is our advocate through the cross and through prayer, and He's our helper in these situations when we don't know what to say. Because He advocated for us, we can advocate for others. So how do we do that? First of all, we need to be pointing people to the cross ourselves. First of all, we need to kind of make that transition in our own hearts, right? We need to be looking when we're far away. Christ is our advocate. He brings us closer to Him. He is our advocate, that atoning sacrifice. We now can also share that with others, pointing people to that same cross, that love that exists there. The second thing we can do is engage in this thing called kingdom prayer. This isn't prayer where we get together in the prayer room, right? You guys kind of think where my inspiration for the prayer walk this morning, all right? This is kind of where it's coming from a little bit, right? There's an idea where it's good to get together and pray together. That is, that is fantastic. And we have a prayer team that meets here on Sunday nights, and you can come and join in that prayer. We send out prayers through the, the email chains, and you can pray in your own home. But kingdom prayer is a little bit different. Kingdom prayer requires presence. It requires a place. It's reorienting place and to Jesus Christ. And you have to be physically present. David Fitch would say it this way. Kingdom prayer does not remove us from the world, but places us firmly in the middle of it. It demands location and presence. Karl Barth would say this. To clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Prayer changes things. Sarah Coakley would say this, prayer is not just a contemplative kind of prayer, she's talking about kingdom prayer, that extracts us out of the world. Rather, in prayer, we are joined with the whole work of God as all of creation is being taken up into this flow of His presence. Kingdom prayer changes things. Amen? So as we begin to reorient ourselves, as we look outside into our communities, we need to be thinking And praying with God that He would use us to transform the places where our feet step. And the third way, we can also intercede on behalf of others. We engage with our communities. We don't intercede in the way the Holy Spirit does, but we intercede by getting to know what's going on all around us. We, we figure out what's going on in those neighborhoods and how we can lend a voice, lend a helping hand. We had uh, one individual helping with the clean sweep yesterday and we had several individuals around our church cleaning up around our church yesterday and we have some individuals walking outside right now and we want to do more and more to reach out into our neighborhood because as Jesus Christ is our advocate we can be the advocate that changes the world around us it's Christ in us it's Christ through us you and I were not meant to be alone It's not how God designed it. In our world, in our community, who's experiencing those feelings of loneliness and pain, they're not meant to be alone either. But how will they know? How will they know unless somebody goes and tells them? As Paul would say, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Amen? So, you are not alone. And I won't sing Michael Jackson again, don't worry. 
God's precious people don't have to be alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our advocate, the atoning sacrifice. We thank you for the way you designed this world that to be fully human means to be in relationship not only with you but with those around us. To be fully engaged in our bodies, fully present with our minds and our hearts. Touching individuals, touching situations, engaging in circumstances all around us. Jesus, we thank you that you came and modeled it for us. And Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. We ask for your help to know where to start. Maybe it's in our own lives. Maybe we need to start by working on some things inside of us, things that you've been working on in us already. But it's time to finally let go and give it up to you. It's time to finally surrender. It's time to finally live the way you designed us to live. So Lord, if that is our story today, I ask for your help for that individual who really is sensing that whisper, that call, that nudge to seek forgiveness, to turn around and to live life the way you have designed it, to be in relationship with you. And Lord, for some of us, we pray that you would open our eyes to the needs around us, to our communities, where we can help to create some sacred urban spaces all around us, places where we set our feet, the transformation that can happen through kingdom prayer, Lord. Would you come and inhabit our prayer, inhabit the places we walk, Lord, would you help us to make a difference in our communities? Lord, when we don't know what to say, we ask for your help, Holy Spirit. Intercede on our behalf and teach us how to intercede for others to become advocates in the world around us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you for this day and this time. In Jesus' name.